All right, we're going to start with a little game. I'm going to read some words, and you're going to tell me what they're from. There's only one of these, so first shot here. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying, and it's time to lend a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. No? Okay. We can't go on pretending day by day that someone somewhere will soon make a change. We're all part of God's great big family, and the truth, you know, love is all we need. Nope. Send them your heart so they'll know that someone cares. I'm skipping the chorus. And their lives will be stronger and free. As God has shown us by turning stone to bread, so we all must lend a helping hand. Nope. When you're down and out, there seems no hope at all, but if you just believe, there's no way we can fall. Well, 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 let's realize that a change can only come when we stand together as one. And now here's the giveaway. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. Oh, snap. My phone just disconnected. Okay, that was the end of it. All right. Who, who, song, who, who wrote that? Michael Jackson. Thank you. Okay. I remember first hearing that song as a little kid, and I think I saw this like music video thing on stage with Michael Jackson and like a thousand kids behind him, you know, singing this song. We are the world. You know, we are the children. Um, pretty interesting lyrics there, don't you think? Now, I wouldn't really look at Michael Jackson and consider him a follower of Jesus. I have no idea where he, where he is now. I pray that he's, in, that he's in heaven with Jesus. But it's interesting to me that the world knows that it needs love. I saw a TED Talk recently, uh, and by saw, I mean I, I saw the, I just saw a picture of one. And it said something about bringing back the golden rule. Well, when I was in elementary school, I went to a Christian elementary school, they taught us the golden rule, which is do unto others, right, as you'd have them do unto you. And so going through school, it was always kind of like assume that's, that's kind of how things work. This video, I think, was really arguing that maybe that's not in elementary schools. I don't know. But the point is, there's, there's something in the world that the world knows that, that love is what it needs. And someone shouted out the Beatles, right? Love is all you need. So my question that I want to pose today is, is well, what does love look like then? And how do we do that? We're starting a series, uh, a four-week series today called Love Your Neighbors. We're exploring the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, uh, in the New Testament, sums up all of the Old Testament commands with two commands. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The next few weeks, we're going to get kind of specific with that. Today, we're looking kind of broad. Next week, we're going to talk about loving people in your home, roommates, spouses, you know, kind of people in your immediate family place that you live. The next week, we're going to talk about loving kids, whether that's because you have them or not. And we're going to be having a woman from DCF. Her name is Lori. She's going to come and share a little uh, kind of appeal to the 
shortage of foster parents that there are in this area. So you can look forward to that in, in two weeks from today. And then the last week of the series, uh, a guy named um, Aaron Engler, I'm sorry, I don't know why I drew a blank there, who's the pastor of High Rock Church in Salem, is going to come and share about God's love for the foreigner, the alien in our midst. And uh, they've started a ministry to help uh, people in our country gain citizenship. And so he's going to come talk about that. And he's a part of our North Shore Gospel Partnership. So that's what's going on in the next few weeks. You can look forward to those different series. But today we're looking at kind of the broad question, what does love really look like and how do we do that? And here is what we are going to find in the Bible. Love makes you a neighbor. Love makes you a neighbor. And we're going to see this in a passage from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. If you want to follow along in a Bible, Luke 10, we're going to start in verse 25. Very well-known passage here we're looking at. So this is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. You can also follow along. It should be up with me on the screen. It already is. Thank you, Anita. Verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? This is Jesus responding. This man, this expert in the law, the scribe, answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on all of oil and wine. And he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Then asking the guy, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. The first question we're asking here is, you know, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to, you know, have the kind of love that could possibly change the world? We heard about it in Michael Jackson's song. And the answer is that love makes you a neighbor to me. Love makes you a neighbor to me. And love makes you a neighbor to everyone. Now this whole episode with Jesus starts because one of the scribes, this, is, this would have been a guy that had authority in that community at the time, 
would have been looked at as kind of like the spiritual authority, the priest or the pastor of kind of our day. He wanted to test Jesus. He heard about this prophet Jesus, probably as curious as some of these other Pharisees or scribes were. What's the deal with this Jesus guy? Let's see if we can kind of pin him down and expose that he's not who he's talking about. You know, he's not some new prophet. And the scribe asked this question about eternal life, which is kind of probably a big question back then, as maybe it is today in some ways. Just what I have to do to live forever, to be right with God. What does a person have to do to get that? And this guy identifies the central commands from the entire Old Testament. There's a lot of them in there. If you've ever read through it, it's kind of a long book. And he narrows down, Jesus says, you've answered correctly, right down to the main two things, which is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, do this and you will live. Now, just to clarify something, Jesus is not saying that if you do a bunch of things to show love to people, that that gets you eternal life. No one could do those things perfectly, and Jesus knows that. But the point is this. The people that love God and love their, na- their neighbors are the people that Jesus would say are those who have their names written in heaven. He says earlier in this chapter. Because they're the ones, as Jesus says also in this chapter, whom the Son has revealed the Father to. They're those that have seen the Father. They're the one who have received the message of the kingdom. And the Bible says in 1 John 4, it says that love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus is just saying, hey, those that love God and love their neighbors with the kind of love that God loves us with, are those that have been born of God. They love because God has loved them. They love because they know God, because they've put their faith in Jesus. They have a relationship with God. And it's those people that Jesus is saying here, yes, do this and you will live. That's where life is. Okay, but this leads the guy to the next question that kind of makes this whole passage famous, right? The passage of the Good Samaritan. He says, okay, he wants to justify himself. Well, who is my neighbor? Now, this is a big question in that day for someone that was Jewish. Because there was a huge separation between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the people of God. They had the relationship with God. They had the temple. They had the tabernacle. They had the the presence of God actually like dwelling in their midst in this building. And all these other nations had these other gods that they were told to stay far away from. They were trouble, these other nations, and the gods that they worship. There's warning after warning for them to, to not be engaged in the practices of the nations around them. So in the, the Jewish mind, although there was lots of error in, the, in their mind about how they should relate to the Gentiles, it often became this idea of separation. Those people are bad. We're good. Now, no one today struggles with that. So maybe you can relate to this guy a little bit. He's trying to say, hey, who are the people, though, that I really need to love? You can assume he's probably talking about maybe, you know, he assumes maybe his wife and his kids and the people in his community. But what about those outside? So Jesus just, you know, picks up the question and says, okay, let me tell you a little story. 
And the story of the Good Samaritan shows us, right, that love makes a neighbor out of everyone. In other words, Jesus is saying, bro, bad question. Who is my neighbor? Bad question. Because the assumed answer in this story is, who isn't your neighbor? It's everyone. So, the story, right? The guy's on his way, on this road, right, to Jericho. Gets attacked, bandits, they stake his stuff. The priest walks by. Now, the priests were this separate class. You want to talk about castes, like in India? This was kind of the same. The priests were descended from Aaron, who was a Levite. We, We read about Aaron earlier today in the call to worship. So the only way you could be a priest was that if you descended from Aaron, Moses' brother. That was it. Okay? So very select group of people. Their job was, was, was doing the sacrifices in the temple to present to God. So they're kind of the go-between between people and God. They're saying, okay, we're bringing the people to God, doing these sacrifices, making them acceptable. They're a big deal. Okay? So you expect, if you're listening to this story as Jesus is telling you, it's like, oh, it's a priest. Of course, this, the priest is going to help this poor guy. Nope. Walks by on the other side of the road. Okay, next up, the Levite. Now, the Levite is kind of like tier two, okay? Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. That make sense? Okay, Aaron was descended from this guy named Levi. He was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And so there was a lot other, there was, the Levite is the big group. Priests were a smaller group, descended from Aaron. You track with me? Okay? But still, the Levites had all kinds of duties to perform around and in the temple. Getting things ready, you know, doing ceremonial, you know, like washing things or like preparing stuff, setting stuff up. They did a kind of all the support work. So it's kind of like you get the priest and in the Catholic Church, they're all kind of like the altar boy. Okay? They're just kind of doing the stuff, but they're not like holding up the bread. You know what I mean? Okay? What happens? Walks by on the other side. Neither one of these, like, people that they would look up to in their society for spiritual leaders helped this guy out. Now, what's funny about the story is that the next person you would expect, based on this kind of echelon, would be a common layman Jewish guy. But there's the twist, is you don't get that person. It's kind of like, okay, priest, altar boy, layperson. But you don't get the layperson. You get... A Samaritan. That's a dirty word to a Jew. That's, a, that's an insult. They might have used that to, you know, call someone names on the playground back then. The Samaritans were, were in a region north of Jerusalem. And that region was conquered by the Assyrians a couple hundred years before Jerusalem was, in the 700s B.C., and during that time, the, ba- the, the Assyrians and Babylonians, they deported a bunch of people into that region, and so they became kind of this mixed group ethnically of Jewish kind of descent and then also some of the nations. So the Jews, as we already kind of were talking about, you know, kind of turned up their noses at them because they were kind of anti-Gentile, which really wasn't God's heart, but we don't have a lot of time to get into that right now. The point was, they were, they were the other. I mean, they were, they were looked with, uh, with suspicion, they were, they were kind of, you know, a dirty word. And almost to the, to the degree of they were enemies of the Jewish people. 
And part of that is because, uh, one last thing to mention about this historically, if you can bear with me, is that the kingdom of Israel divided into two nations, and there are times when those two nations, which is where the Samaritans were from, this northern nation of Israel, often warred against the southern nation, which is where Jerusalem was. So there's, there's history of war there too. Okay, like your relatives killed some of my relatives kind of thing. That doesn't really bode well for the future. Okay? But you can see with things that are still happening in the Middle East today. So we see a huge reversal here in the story. That it's not the, it's not the, in our language, it's not the white waspy guy helping the poor minority. It's the minority who's walking by and helping the waspy guy. Right? That's what Jesus is doing in this story. He's, he's flipping it around. Now the other thing that's reversed is Jesus doesn't answer the guy's question. I mean, he does, but at the end, he asks the man a question. He says, the guy says, the scribe says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, really, who was a neighbor to the man? He's turning it around because he's saying, that was kind of a bad question, buddy, but I'm going to go with you. Because the answer is, who's not your neighbor? That's a bad question. It's assuming that there is some separation between people that Jesus had come to tear apart. Right? We, we, we sung a song today about the veil being torn in the temple. But that is also, Paul picks up that language and says there's also a veil torn between Jew and Gentile, what separated people. Right? So the answer that Jesus is saying is, is everyone is your neighbor. So really the question is, are you a neighbor to the people around you? And the point is, taking this all the way back to the beginning, is that love makes you a neighbor. That's Jesus' thrust in this. It's that love compels us to be a neighbor to the people around us. Who had love in their heart? The Samaritan did. And Jesus, in flipping the story around, just just totally throws it outside of religious professionals and a select race of people from God and says, hey, look at this person that's a minority or an outcast or even an enemy of your people, and this person is the one that's demonstrating a love that is being a neighbor to somebody else. Love makes you a neighbor to everyone. This includes your actual physical neighbors, but even the stranger in your life. This is not saying that you can somehow meet everyone's needs in the world. Whether that you would actually like do something loving for every person in the world. But the point is that you are regarding all others around you in your life, and even those in the world, you are regarding them as a neighbor. Regarding them as someone of value. When I was a freshman at Gordon, I'll never forget this. When I was a freshman at Gordon, there was a guy that was a senior by the name of Matt Capitolo. And Matt was the student government president. 
And so he would go up on the stage, you know, in chapel and give announcements about the different events that were happening on. And, and in my mind, he was kind of like, he was, he was Gordon. You know, like, he's the guy, you know, like, representing the entire school. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow my freshman year, he, he learned my name. I, I have no idea. I, can't, I cannot remember for the life of me how that, how that happened, you know. And well, I didn't stalk him and say, hey, I'm, you know, Brian. No, it was like he learned my name. And every time I would pass him by on campus, he would look me in the eye and greet me by name with a smile. And we never hung out. It was never like we were friends. But that meant a lot to me. I saw him years later at a, at a homecoming weekend. It was probably maybe even 10 years ago now. And I just went over to him and I, and I shared that with him. I said, you know, you probably don't remember this. I don't even know if you remember me. But of course he did. I mean, he just, that's, that's who he was, right? He just, he just remembered, you know? And I just said, hey, I just, this meant so much to me. You, when I was a freshman, I was kind of lonely, and you learned my name somehow, and you greeted me by name and looked me in the eye as this senior important person on campus, and I was this lowly freshman, unknown. That's just a small example of, of what God is saying, is that love makes you a neighbor to the people around you in your life. It compels you to be a neighbor. If you have love, you, you become a neighbor. That's actually the word that Jesus uses in this passage. It says, he asks the question, who became a neighbor to the man who was robbed? It's love that makes you, it turns you into a neighbor. In the book, uh, I Once Was Lost, two authors, one's an intervarsity guy, another's a, a pastor of a church, uh, Don Everts and Doug Shop, sorry, sorry Doug, present a path that they argue that most postmoderns in our country and our society walk through who end up becoming followers of Jesus. Anita, if you can put that up there. They, they, they did a study of thousands of people that became followers of Jesus later in life. And they said that this is the spectrum through which most people uh, walk through on their journey to Jesus. It starts by trusting someone who's a Christian. And without that, for, for majority, vast majority of people in this book as they detail, that's their, that's their story. At first, it first happened when I had a real relationship with someone that was a Christian. And by that I mean it was like a relationship where there was trust. You know, where you could share something and I could share something and it was, it was real. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And then they walk through some of these other stages where it's, they start to get curious about this funny Christian person that may be loving them a lot. And then they're open to a change in their life. Maybe something difficult happens in their life and causes them to question some things or they're going through a hard time or an addiction or you know, some of their need surfaces. And then they usually uh, enter this kind of intense uh, phase of seeking and just having all these questions and really wanting to know answers. And usually from there, uh, they, they may or may not you know, become a follower of Jesus. So I, I throw this up there because I think it's a really helpful grid for us in terms of thinking through how people become followers of Jesus. That you, It's not always that you need to share the gospel right away. It may be that they need to trust the Christian first. Now, I'm not saying that you can't help the stranger. I think this, this you know, and, and give him, sometimes it's through this whole series of things in one meeting. Jesus did that with the, the woman at the well. He established trust. He started to build her curiosity in some of the things she was asking and he was asking her. He kind of pushed her on a life change deal. 
right? Uh, that Yeah, the guy you live with is not your husband and you've had five other husbands, you know? And then there was this, this phase of kind of seeking where then she's coming back even after that with other questions. So this is not to say this takes years. It could take years. This could all happen in one encounter with someone. But the point that I'm trying to share is that love is really important. God is calling us to love the people around us. The ones that we see, the ones that we pass by often on the other side. The ones that are a little too messy, a little too dirty that maybe we would like to avoid. You may be the only Christian in that person's life and the only person that they might be able to trust to kind of enter on a journey to encounter Jesus. Whether it's in one sitting with person or whether it's walking with them for years. How important is loving other people around you? Extremely important. Not just because it's what God tells us to do, but that is essential to the mission of God to make disciples of all peoples. Now, I think, for whatever reason, I think we, we often, are, are, are the natural tendency in our lives is to drift towards not engaging with others or not loving the people around us. Obviously, because we have sin in our life. We naturally tend to drift that way as people. It's not an easy thing to love the people around us. So first of all, I want to say again, kind of, well, what, what does more specifically, what does love look like from this passage? We're saying that love makes you a neighbor. A neighbor. Jesus says, who was the neighbor? There's an assumption there that this guy knows what kind of things a neighbor does. Well, here's what the guy does in a passage. It says he has compassion. He showed mercy. He met this guy's practical needs for like someone helping him actually survive this encounter. He drops his agenda. He was on the road. He wasn't wandering around on a mission trip going, who can we save, right? This guy was on on probably some business trip or visiting family. And he wasn't, he wasn't you know, going to Mexico to minister to the people. I mean, it, doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to hint that that's what was happening. He drops his agenda and he takes a risk. There were bandits around. Like, and there's the result. Would have been smart maybe to just hightail it out of there on your animal. Nope, he takes this guy on and guess what? That would have slowed him down you got to go a little slower when your horse is carrying someone and you're walking. Right? Rather than like galloping away if the bandits come to chase you. He sets aside his agenda and he takes a risk. And these are kind of things that I think even in our culture we associate with the word neighbor. Jade and I are living in Asbury Grove right now, which is in, in Hamilton. It's an awesome place. It's an old uh, tent revival uh, Methodist church uh, campground. And this is the second summer we lived there. But the Lord has taught us a lesson in what it means to be a neighbor. And that is because there's two wonderful people that live just next door to us. And their names are Gary and Mary. And early on in our time at the Grove, uh, we just started to get to know them. Why? Because we're, they're in our life. I mean, they're, they're you know, 20 paces to their house. And uh, 
it just was, I think, the thing that, well, let me tell you a story. Over the course of the summer, you know, they would, they would stop by, they, they'd bring us food, they'd greet our kids. If I, they'd ask our kids questions, like engaging with our kids. And if I tried to answer for the kids or just mistakenly did it, Mary would say, I didn't ask you. Just, I'm talking to your kid. You know, like, back up, Dad. It's little things like that, that just caring about our kids, you know, stopping by, saying hello, bringing food, you know, that really are what's cool about having a person that is a neighbor that's a neighbor, right? Uh, Last fall, when I was trying to winterize the cottage, it's a six-month seasonal thing. I had never done that before. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I knew water freezes in pipes. So you got to get the water out. But I didn't know exactly, you know, how to do it. And so who did I call? I called Gary, right? Because he's, he's next door. He came by, he brought his air compressor, shoved it in a pipe. We blew, you know, blew the water out of all these different places. He helped me figure out how to take the water filter off and taught me this cool method with a towel that you, if you take a piece of cloth and kind of get it wet and wrap it really tight. John, this plumber in the front of John is just, you know, like, yeah, it's a good, good trick. Grab it with pliers. You can like squeeze something. If you don't have the right wrench to get something larger off, it's, okay, I'm just passing that along. Gary came over and did it, right? Why? Because he, he set down his agenda. Right? He set down his agenda. He, 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 was, he was moving slow enough, right, that he would have time to care for me. Right? To have time to care for our kids. That's, I mean, that's, that's what a neighbor is. Love makes you a neighbor. Love compels you. It, it makes you become the kind of person that is willing to set aside their agenda and is happy to do that and even take a risk with someone that you might not normally want to associate with. But love compels you to do that because love makes you a neighbor. You know, one thing I think about, even just with this neighbor thing, I really sense the Lord as a church. We're going to come back to this. In this series, we're talking about different segments of the people in our lives. But I think there's a real, uh, in this season, a real push from the Lord to re-engage with the people that are already in your life. So with that said, I just want to throw out one idea. We, only, we, have, we have a small number of faith groups right now. Or, sorry, I should say life groups in our church right now. Um, and part of that's just because of season of life of many people that have been leaders in the past with small kids and just, you know, kind of the, the journey that the church is on. And, you know, just busyness of schedules and work. I just wonder if, if the Lord is calling us to do a little bit more of reaching out to people in our neighborhood that it's really easy to walk 20 paces to their house. There's just something there I'm going to float by you to let the Lord stir that up in you and see where he directs us as a people. But we're coming back to this idea because I think we really need to see what is the Lord already doing around me in the people that I'm already interacting with all the time. There's people in our church that are already doing some of these things. Just to mention, the Shelbys in their neighborhood, God is doing things in their neighborhood because they're being available to their neighbors. You know, they're, they're, they're reaching out to people and, and loving on people and building friendships. Travis Schultz, just want to throw his name out there, has started different, you know, Bible studies at work with the guys that he's, you know, connecting with. 
You can do that, those kinds of things, as the Lord is leading you to. And we can help you assist in that. So, the last question. How do I love others? I mean, how do we actually do this? If love makes you a neighbor, how do I, how do I get there? Well, in a nice, thick Gloucester accent, surrender changes your agenda. But for the rest of you, surrender changes your agenda. If you want to love others, you have to surrender your agenda. So we've already talked about like the Good Samaritan does. You've got to give something up of yourself. And that seems like a hard word, guys. It seems like, oh, I've got, got to give something up, right? You've got to really work yourself up and let go of something like you know, time or money or privacy or control or your schedule. But with God, it actually it doesn't really work that way very well. It's really more a surrender to love. When you are surrendered to the love of God, it looks like this instead of like this. Right? And oftentimes we cannot receive the love of God that He is constantly pouring out at all times because we're gripping something else. And yes, it can be difficult to let go of that something else, but we're receiving love when we do that. It's always replaced by something infinitely greater. And that's what makes being a neighbor easy, is when we are loved by God and we know it. We know it. We've bridged the gap from here to here, the longest distance in the universe. Right? We don't just say, yes, God is love. He loves me. We know that He loves us in our heart. The Bible says love is from God. We cannot love in the way that God loves unless we receive it from God. As Alex mentioned last week, he and I have been going through Mark Fee's first love course. And the main point of the course is highlighting Jesus' main command, which is, he says, the one command that Jesus gives in the New Testament. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. He says it again in John 15. As I have loved you, so love one another. The point is we are to love each other with the love that Jesus has. And no lesser love. The love that is for enemies. That is the love that God calls us to. And that's really hard. Unless we know how much we have been loved. Then it gets a lot easier. So the goal is for us to surrender to love. Surrender changes our agenda, right? When your agenda becomes love, then it's natural to stop and help that person. Love makes you a neighbor. When you're loved by God, it makes you a neighbor to other people. It makes you a neighbor to me, and it makes you a neighbor to everyone, because love makes you a neighbor. Let's have the band come back up as we respond here. So I got, I got a few questions for you in response here today. The first one is this, who has God been highlighting for you to love? Has there been someone that he has brought to your mind that he's saying, 
That's the person I've put in your life that I'm, I'm wanting you to invest in, to love, to be a friend to, that you'll drop your agenda for and that you will take a risk. Who is that person? Secondly, what is it that God is calling you to surrender in order to receive God's love so that you can give it away? And earlier today, we had a little bit of a word about fear. So I just share that to say, and there might be something in, with fear here that you need to deal with in the Lord. Fear of ho- that you're, you don't want to relinquish something you're afraid. Lastly, I just want to share, hey, if, if you're new to church, and if you're, we wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, uh, if, if you've never you know, surrendered to God, you can do that right now today. Let me just tell you quickly what the Bible is all about. The message of the Bible is this. God is love. That is who he is, and that is what he is about all the time. But people are often not, and that's a problem for our planet. And so God, you know what he did? He entered into the mess of this world. He became a person. He became Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus became, became a man, the second member of the Trinity. Became a person so that we could know God. We could see what God is like and that we could know him. And what happened? People killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And he's still alive today. And he's now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, enacting a mission of love all over this planet and sharing himself, his very spirit, with all those that would seek him. Anyone that would call out to him and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. And he would forgive your sin. He'll make you his own. He'll call you a son or a daughter with all the rights and privileges that Jesus has, the Bible says. That's the offering. And it doesn't even stop there. The Bible says that those that believe in Jesus, their old self, the bad parts of themselves, the sinful parts, the wicked parts, the things you don't like about yourself, they all die with Jesus. And you're raised to newness of life with him. That you can have power to do love. To love others in this world. To live a life of love. That is the gospel. It is that we have the power to obey God and love the people around us, even our enemies. And to help us do that, God says he's going to put his spirit inside of us. That's the gospel. It's very simple. It's very complicated. If you've never done that, I just encourage you to tell the Lord in your own heart, I surrender Jesus. I want to follow you. I I know I need you. I confess my sin. Forgive me. I want you. Let's stand as I pray. Lord, so we just invite you to speak to us about who have you put on our minds today, God? Who have you put on our minds? And what is it that we need to surrender? What are we holding back that's keeping us from loving those in our lives, our neighbors? And God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I just bless them in the name of Jesus, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to them and help them to surrender to you today and to feel your love as you pour it into them. Thank you, God.